Welcome to Between the Headphones, a Georgia football podcast. I'm Stuart Steele, the sports editor at the Red and Black, and your host for this podcast series. Each week, the Red and Black football beat will look back on the previous week's game and preview the matchup for next week. In this episode, I'll speak to football beat writer Parth Patel about Georgia's 48-7 win against South Carolina and preview the Georgia-Kent State game with football beat writer John James. Welcome back to the show, Parth. Thank you for having me again. It's good to be back. Yeah, so I wanted to start our little discussion about South Carolina with kind of the big star of the game, which to me was Brock Bowers. Uh, Three touchdowns, over 120 yards total. What did you see out of uh, Bowers, and uh, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I thought the Georgia offense really did a good job of getting him more involved. He was kind of quiet for his standards uh, the first two games of the season, but I think especially they had the he had the rushing touchdown, and then he was opened up in the passing game, and then in the third quarter, the big one, that one for the touchdown. I think there was a more emphasis on trying to get him more involved and just exploiting his mismatch, which was good to see from uh, Todd Munkin. Yeah, I was really, you know, I I thought it was a good sign for Georgia to see Bowers get so involved. Uh, You know, when your best players are involved, that's generally a good sign. And there's going to be games where Bowers has to have big time games going down the line if Georgia wants to get to where they want to go. And a lot of it was that catch for the touchdown in the corner of the end zone was amazing. I mean, the way he got his foot down controlled his body the the db had his hand on the ball i mean the stuff that bowers can do with contested catches is just insane and then obviously the run after catch on the 78 yard touchdown was really nice and it's weird how he kind of looks like he's lumbering but he's just pulling away from everyone still and is able to juke people out it's just he's a fun player to watch yeah, I mean, I thought he showed a little bit of everything against South Carolina with his body positioning, his speed, and then just his ability to make defenders miss. So I thought it was overall just a really good game for him. And I think him being a big part of the offense going forward is just going to be really well for Georgia. So moving on to the guy that was getting Bowers the ball in the game, I mean, what did you see out of Stetson Bennett? And he's getting some Heisman hype now. What do you think of that? Yeah, I thought Stetson, I mean, I think the whole offense as a unit was kind of ineffective in the red zone against Samford, but I think they came out against South Carolina, three straight possessions with touchdowns. He was throwing the ball well. Uh, He was running it too. I think Kirby emphasized uh, for him to kind of take off more, and I think he utilized all of that. I think the Heisman... um, watch is kind of well deserved for him because he hasn't played a single fourth quarter this season and he's been very efficient um moving that georgia offense to scoring points so i think it's been a really hot start for him yeah i agree i think stetson is hurt by being stetson bennett basically this year in the heisman discussion because if this was bryce young doing this or if this was any other name brand quarterback doing this he would be top of the list and people are starting to take notice but if Bennett continues to play like this throughout the season I would have a hard time seeing him not be at least a finalist for the award because he's just been awesome so far to me yeah I mean I think the fact that he's a six-year kind of hurts him a little bit but I mean the stats and his efficiency ratings are off the chart and I think he right now is deservedly going to be a Heisman finalist um if he can you know, if the Georgia offense just keeps the pace going. I think the only thing that might hurt him is Georgia just playing in so many blowouts where he doesn't see the field in the fourth quarter and, you know, pad his stats a little bit. Yeah, the volume might not be there for Stetson necessarily, but, I mean, 
even that that one touchdown run where he juked the guy out was insane. Like the fact that Setson Bennett has that in his bag is just crazy. And again, like if that was Bryce Young or if that was any of these like young stud quarterbacks, CJ Stroud, I think that would have been like all over the internet and with Stetson it's just like a little blip on the radar so I think that's interesting yeah I think people on um, one stat that's been kind of overlooked was he was the first quarterback in six years since Patrick Mahomes to throw for 250 yards and have a rushing touchdown in the first three games of the season and I think if you had Bryce Young or CJ Stroud doing that I think there'd definitely be more talk there but I think Stetson's just showing he can really do it all and he's here to be the man at Georgia so now moving over to the other side of the ball on defense, Georgia had another dominant performance and now it's kind of drawing comparisons to last year's group. Whereas at the beginning of the year, everyone was anticipating a drop off. I mean, what did you see out of the group on Saturday and uh, what are your thoughts on the defense overall? Yeah, I thought the defense played really well. Um, I think it's similar in an aspect to last year in which they're still not giving up touchdowns and things like that. But I think it's kind of a different mentality. I think South Carolina was doing pretty well on the second drive, moving the ball until Rattler threw the pick. And I think that's kind of been the um, standard for the Georgia defense this year. It's kind of bend and not break. When they've gotten to... And, you know, in the red zone territory, they've been able to come away with takeovers and stop drives. And I think that's going to be kind of the motto for the defense this year. They're not the same style as last year, but they're, they're, they're very effective. I totally agree with that. I think the defense has shown that ability to come up with a timely play. Like the interception, there was one against Oregon where they were moving the ball. The, the stop on the goal line against Oregon similarly wasn't a turnover, but was a turnover on downs. And then, I mean, Malachi coming up with the pick on Saturday. They just keep finding a way to make a play even when teams get together a drive. Tresman Marshall even later when the backups were kind of in saving that drive and it looked like saving the shutout at the time. But um, I think that is the biggest difference is that the defense is just opportunistic, even even more so than last year, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think Kirby's mentioned the word opportunistic a lot, and I think they've just been making good plays with the chances they're given, and I think a lot of that is with the D-line is doing a better job of getting pressure, and it's really helping the secondary make plays out there. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about that that pressure element because I was super impressed with Georgia's defensive line and their linebackers with the pressure they were putting Rattler under on Saturday. It seemed like he was getting rushed pretty much every time he had to throw the ball in it it caused him to miss some open receivers at times, which was more reminiscent of last year's defense where that would happen pretty much all the time. Um, It's weird they're not getting sacks, but do you think that really matters when they are getting pressure like they did on Saturday? I I don't think the sacks really matters. I think the Georgia defense is just doing a really good job of mixing it up and confusing the quarterback to the point where it's like, you know, going into the game, you have to get the ball out quick and then they're just confusing him to the point where it's like, he gets the ball out, but it's not accurate because of all the pressures really coming from all over in that line. It's not like last year where you knew you had kind of Jordan Davis and Devontae White in the middle and then certain players on the edge. I think from this year, it's just coming from everywhere. And I think it's really confusing quarterbacks. And it, it might not show up on, with regards to sacks, but I think you see it with pressures and just a lot of the incompletions they're getting. I also thought it was impressive on Saturday that they were doing this defensive performance largely without Jalen Carter in the mix. I think that's a good sign for the D-line rotation that has been something of a question mark, like you were saying, as opposed to last season. But 
Tyrion Ingram Dawkins had a really nice run stuff, had some good pressures. Logue has been really good to start the year as well. And I think that's a good sign that they're able to still rotate because I think that's that was kind of key last year was they were three deep pretty much everywhere and could give so many different looks. Yeah, I think, I mean, Kirby's even mentioned it, that they're rotating a lot more this year on the D-line. And I think that's what's kind of helping the unit is even with Jalen Carter not there they just have other players that are stepping up and bringing the pressure and stopping the run and I think that's what really confuses quarterbacks is when you don't know where it's coming from it's just coming from everywhere so something else I wanted to touch on was the Georgia's ability to run the ball in this game obviously the offensive line has been one of the things we've been most concerned about as a beat I feel like and I just wanted to ask what you thought of the run game on Saturday Yeah, I thought Georgia did a a really good job of kind of emphasizing it. They got a lot of players involved in the running games. I mean, Brock Bowers, Ladd McConkie, and then your usual trio of running backs with McIntosh, Milton, and Edwards. Uh, Stetson did a little bit of running. They kept it going when Carson Beck was in the game, too. So I thought there's a real emphasis there, especially in the second half, by Georgia to get that run game going because it's going to be something that's going to be crucial for that offense, you know, an SEC play going forward. So I think they did a really nice job of kind of attacking that problem by just getting a lot of players involved yeah i thought it was good to see a lot of kind of five and six yard runs like little chunks that set you up for a second and short or third and short um they're still not breaking off any really explosive runs and i don't know whether that's a major concern just because the passing game has been so efficient that it almost hasn't mattered but eventually you're going to come to one of these games against a kentucky or against florida if they play well you know where you have to grind out a game and where you have to run out the clock. And I think that George is going to have to continue to get better in the run game to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think, especially with the way the offense is going right now, I think they're they're fine getting away with it right now. But I think on any day where the offense isn't clicking, they're going to really need their run game. But I think... I think they, they can get it from Stetson and um, other players. Like I think Ladd McConkey's had a couple of carries this season, and I think Brock Bowers had the, the touchdown, and I think it's kind of an extension of the – or building off the passing game is where you've got the quick little shovel passes to McConkey and Bowers, which is really just getting their playmakers in the open field with blockers, and I think that's really kind of an element of the run game I would expect to see more of this year from Georgia. I agree. I mean, I think being creative is like the key to all of this. If they can't run at a, at teams straight up necessarily, it's going to be about misdirection, and they have the athletes to do that. They've run Macintosh on some of those jet actions, and obviously Bowers has had success with that. He had success with that as a freshman as well. I think Munkin's such a good play caller that if this does become kind of a weakness or an area of less strength, we'll say, I think they'll adjust for it and be able to still manufacture those yards in clutch time. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I wouldn't say I'm concerned about the run game right now. I thought they did a really good job last week of just emphasizing it. Thanks for coming on the show, Parth. It was great to have you. Yep, thanks for having me, Stu. It was a pleasure. to discuss Georgia Kent State is football beat writer John James. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for having me, Stu. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is just kind of what Kent State football is all about because, you know, they're not necessarily a national brand, even though they've had some famous alumni like Julian Edelman uh, 
what what do you see in this Kent State football program, and what kind of challenges do they present for Georgia? The first thing you need to know about Kent State is that they're going to pound the rock. Uh, they're led by Colin Slee, who's a dual-threat quarterback who's racked up a bunch on the ground this year. Um, but they've got, like, multiple rushers who are already over 100 yards to, altogether. Um, Marquez Cooper is their, like, bell cow back. He's the, he's the guy they use primarily. But Gavin Garcia is kind of a change-of-pace guy. He's got a bunch of, like, longer runs this year. He's just super explosive. So he comes in, and he catches the defense on the back of their feet. What do you make of the fact that Kent State's playing so many kind of heavyweights early on in their schedule? I know that's kind of common with smaller schools, but, you know, they're going to have three ranked matchups in their first four games, I believe. I think it's a really good test to prepare them for some of the weaker schools that they might play later in the schedule. Um, I don't think you want to play, like, the toughest teams in the beginning because it's it's not— a confidence booster in any regard, but it does let you know how well you're going to play later in the year, I think. Do you think that the rushing attack, going back to that, do you think that's going to present a challenge for Georgia, really, or do you think they're going to be prepared? I think Georgia is going to be well prepared. Uh, This defensive line is something I have no questions about. No team has run well on Georgia so far this season, so I think the Bulldogs don't have much to worry about. When Kent State has to pass, obviously we touched on Schley a little bit, but who are kind of their biggest targets in the passing game? It's slim pickings for Kent State's passing game, to be honest. Uh, Dante Cephas is the guy to watch, but I think if Keely Ringo is put on him, Dante won't be doing too much in this game. So looking ahead to this matchup with Kent State, from the Georgia perspective, what's one thing you're looking to see out of the Bulldogs this weekend? The one thing that I'm really going to be keyed in on this weekend is how well Georgia establishes itself on the ground. Um, Georgia's rushing game has been something that you and I both have expressed some concerns about this season. So the number I want to see is 150. Kent State hasn't allowed 150 rushing yards to a single team this season, and Georgia's only passed that mark once this past weekend against South Carolina. I think that's a a valid concern. I agree with you. The run game hasn't been incredible so far, but I did think they took a step in the right direction against the Gamecocks. But that Samford game was just really weirdly bad from a rushing perspective and against an opponent you wouldn't expect them to have trouble with. So I am watching that as well. Yeah. One thing I noticed against South Carolina is that they did a lot of runs like around the perimeter, which might be some evidence that, the, that this team has concerns about the offensive line and its ability to establish itself as like a force. I'm not sure I buy that so much. I do think that's valid, but Georgia also, I think the tackles are their strength anyway, and I think Darnell is a strength in the blocking game. So getting out on the perimeter where you can get those athletic tackles, get those Darnell Washingtons running out ahead. Receivers are also really good blocking for Georgia. So I think it was more about playing to the strength of their perimeter blocking than anything about the guards and the centers, maybe. One thing that I think was a really interesting development in the South Carolina game was how they involved Brock Bowers in in the run game. Uh, He was... It used in a lot of like jet sweep actions. Um, that's something they did with Lad McConkey against uh, Oregon, and he scored a touchdown off of it. Uh, so I think I think it's something that can really di- diversify this running game. I think it's a good idea in general to get the ball into the hands of your best players any way you can. So I think involving Bowers in that way. I know it was only one carry, 
against South Carolina, but just the fact that that's a threat is good. And even like some actions where you fake that kind of a sweep and hand it off could be valid going forward if you set it up as a threat. So checking in with some of the other SEC teams, this weekend was a weekend of close calls um, for Florida and Arkansas against kind of lower tier opposition, Arkansas more so as far as the, the opponent. But what did you see out of those two teams and what are your thoughts on Florida and Arkansas? I thought it was really concerning because we, at the red and black, we think of those teams as kind of like tier three, ten women ceiling teams, and the fact that they were struggling in these games made them seem much weaker than we previously thought they were. Yeah, I still believe in Arkansas. I think they're they're a good team, and I think KJ Jefferson and that running game are both so good that it was really like a blip on the radar where, and they did really dominate the game in the second half after getting off to a really poor start. I think it was more concerning to me for Florida because I think they are kind of like, they go where Anthony Richardson takes them at the moment. And when he has kind of an off night or he turns the ball over, it just puts them in such a tough spot because he's their most talented player and their most talented playmaker by such a wide margin to me. It's interesting for Florida coming up because they didn't look particularly impressive this past week, and they're heading to Tennessee, and Tennessee's been really good so far this season, and every Tennessee fan I've talked to is scared to death of this game. Well, that's just a natural thing. I mean, I think Tennessee's lost to Florida maybe, I think it was 16 out of the last 17 or something like that. It's just one of those matchups where no matter what, they're not going to be confident. It's kind of similar to the, the way Georgia Alabama feels to a lot of Georgia fans where it's like this this cursed thing that they can just never beat them basically moving on to Arkansas if they beat Texas A&M in Texas A&M do you think that's an upset I don't I, I I'm higher on Arkansas than A&M still even though I think A&M's defense is probably the best unit on either of those teams I think they're they're a dominant group that is one of the best in the conference and the country. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how that game shakes out because A&M's offense is just not a good not a good group. Arkansas's offense is strong. Their defense just got, you know, kind of beat up a little bit against Missouri State. So I think it's interesting to see does it become a shootout? Does it end up being kind of a 24-20 lower scoring kind of game or I I, I don't know how it's going to play out. Both those teams play Alabama later in the year. So if Texas A&M drops this one, they're looking at maybe a three-loss schedule. Yeah, I don't think A&M can threaten Alabama realistically this season just because of that lack of offense. I think Bama has a better defense than they did last year when they did get upset by A&M. I think Arkansas is a much more valid upset potential for Alabama just because they can get into a shootout and actually play with a team if their offense is on. So moving back to Georgia, I just wanted to get your pick for this weekend's game as well as maybe an offensive MVP or somebody you expect to have a big game. Honestly, I don't think Kent State has much of a chance in this one. Um, I'm going to go 48-3 Bulldogs, and I believe the running game gets back on track and Kendall Milton shows up big in this one. Um, do you have anybody to watch out for on defense? Yeah, so defensively, I think this is the week Georgia finally gets some of the sacks they've been missing out on. I think Michael Williams is going to have a multiple sack game and break out the way Malachi Starks kind of has with his interceptions. And I've got Georgia 56, Kent State 3. Well, that's all on the Kent State game. Thanks for joining me, John. Thanks for having me, Stu. 
for listening to Between the Headphones. I'm Stuart Steele. You can find other episodes wherever you get your podcasts and on redandblack.com. For even more Georgia football coverage, visit redandblack.com slash game day. We'll tee it up between the headphones again next week.